Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. like to welcome in Adam Rittenberg. ESPN College Football Senior Writer. I'm just going to assume, Adam, you had a better weekend than the Pac-4. Is that a safe assumption? <laughs> yeah, I think we all did. Uh, it was certainly <laughs> tough news, not entirely surprising, although it had some twists and turns entering that Friday. Uh, but, but yeah, as a guy who grew up uh, watching Pac-10 football in the Bay Area, uh, definitely a, a sad day for that conference. And, and now the scramble is on to, to try to keep it together and and find some way out of this, but it's going to be difficult, you know, losing the brands and the and the uh, just the just the overall substance that they lost on Friday. Do you have any sort of gut feeling where this thing ultimately might be headed? Because I don't. Do you have a better sense? Well, I think it's headed. We're in the consolidation era now, so you know. Instead, I don't even know if these are conferences at this point. Maybe they weren't weren't already, you know, being larger than twelve teams, but. You're just getting these conglomerates that are being set up, um, you know, spanning coast to coast. Even the Big 12, you think about it, going from Central Florida, Orlando, all the way to uh, Phoenix and Tucson in Arizona. So it's hard to call that a league. Um, I think the question is whether it will ultimately be one big league or, uh, you know, two or three, you know, large, you know, 20 plus team, whatever you want to call them. And that's going to be college football. I think there's still a lot of people. Mike Gundy uh, said this, or was was uh, posted on Twitter earlier today, um, that that you know he he's long believed it's going to be a group of 30. I've heard others say group of 40, maybe close to 50, that will essentially play in a super league in their own division. And what's going to be interesting about that is if it's truly going to be that, and media companies are going to ha- essentially shape that group, you're going to have existing Big Ten and SEC teams that aren't part of it. Um, that's just the reality. And so what does that group look like, and when does it come to fruition? It's going to be really interesting to see how fast that happens, but I think the news last week suggests it's going to happen a lot faster than many people thought around the sport. Adam, this might be an area that, that you're unsure on because Brian and I were talking about it earlier, and we were unsure too. If something like that was to happen where some of the current Big Ten schools aren't a part of whatever this thing looks like in however many years, does the seven-year media rights deal matter at all to that? And if it was to take shape as some Big Ten schools aren't a part of this next wave, again, however many years that happens from now, what would that look like? Is it is it they're bought out? Is it they're just kicked out off the board? How would that look? Yeah, I think everything's on the table. Now, I, I think there's it, you know, it, could, it could be you know that, that deal – um, and, and similar deals end around that time, that that's the moment that it splits into you know, this, the Super League. Um, but I, I think it's also going to be fascinating to see if presidents can have those conversations with their fellow presidents, because it's one thing to do what Washington and Oregon did and say, guys, we love you. We know the history in the Pac-12. Uh, we, you know, we'd love to have sucked this out with you, but we are going somewhere else. It's another thing for presidents to tell other presidents in their league, yeah, you're, you're out. You know, we're, we're done sharing, sharing revenue with you. So, again, uh, I, I think there's a decent chance the Big Ten contract goes forward you know, with you know, the existing members that certainly would not be part of a Super League. But then at that point, maybe it, it, it does shift. It's hard to put a, a true prediction on any of this. 
I really thought coming out of the spring meetings in 2022 that there would be more of an accelerated push for football to break away. Uh, you know, it, it hasn't happened yet, but certainly the news on Friday suggests that, that it's you know likely sooner rather than later. But how it works out and how the financials uh, work out and you know, would you still be the Big Ten and all the other sports? And I think there's some value, guys, in having football separated and then having all the other sports you know play the teams that they're used to playing, that the fans want, that the the players and coaches want. I mean, it's just a disaster. Someone who grew up in California, you're telling me that UCLA and Arizona aren't going to play basketball? I mean, that that's a joke. Like, that shouldn't happen. And I think there's certainly a desire to see you know, some type of uh, fixing for the other sports, even though football is, you know, that, that's a runaway train. He's Adam Rittenberg, ESPN college football senior writer, joining us here on The Fan. Do you think we will see that, Adam, where this is just a football-only thing? these goofy conferences in terms of geography because you're playing a lot more often in some of these other sports. Do you see more like different conferences that make more geographical sense with other sports and football is just doing its own thing? I absolutely do at this point um, because, you know, football is driving this media revenue by far uh, more than any other sport. And so if you were to siphon off football, even though that would be very difficult for the schools that were not part of that money-making enterprise, you could naturally go back to you know, playing you know, those familiar conferences in basketball and all the Olympic sports, you know, which is obviously a huge part of the, the Pac-12's history, especially some of the schools that have been left behind, like Stanford and Cal. And so you know, I think that, that's certainly something that's on the mind of administrators. Another thing to keep in mind, I heard this from a few administrators last week, you know, what if the athletes do speak up? And you saw that a little bit on social media. Some softball players in the Pac-12 were speaking out. I, there may have been others that I missed. But, you know, one thing that does tend to get the response from the president is if there's enough pushback from the athletes, especially in the NIL era, in an era where a lot of people think they should be employees of the school. Could that be something that, you know, says, okay, you know what, football, we're going to do this. We're going to have this NFL-style system, but then we're going to go back to the traditional conferences, the regional conferences, and all the other sports. Adam, when historians look back at all of this, particularly for the Pac-12, this past Friday will be known as the day the Pac-12 died as what it was, as the Conference of Champions, as all the history that's there. But when you look at the entire body of work, if you could point to one or two things as to, well, that might be the day it finally, the pulse was gone, but this is the day that everything really started to fall apart. Where is that for you specifically with the Pac-12? Well, certainly you could look back to the attempt by Larry Scott, the former commissioner, to to take down the Big 12 um, and bring in Texas and Oklahoma and all those schools. And you know, why didn't it come to fruition? What couldn't the Pac-12 get over? Uh, it would obviously have required concessions to Texas, and maybe they wouldn't even be in the league anymore. Maybe they would have run off to the SEC anyway, but at least you'd have more schools in the Pac-12. I think about that moment. I think about the moment you know, two years ago when Texas and Oklahoma left the SEC and the Pac-12 had opportunities to add schools. So the Pac-12's hesitancy to do a few things has really jumped out to me, especially you know, adding schools that you know, maybe don't excite their presidents enough from an academic standpoint, or, or maybe they had a moral objection to BYU. Guys, these are athletic conferences. And you know, passing up those opportunities to strengthen and expand, uh, you know, leads you to a position that you're in now. I also think there was this kind of silly, always about innovation and, and staying ahead of the game when, you know, like take the deal. Like there were several take the deal moments 
for the Pac-12, including, you know, last year when they opened up their media rights negotiations and reportedly could have essentially had the Big 12 deal last year and stabilized it, signed a grant of rights, and maybe it still ends to them being dissolved, but we're not talking about this happening in early August 2023. So there's a lot of moments to choose from, but I think the arrogance to not add and the um, your kind of dreamer, like, let's do something completely different from everybody else that both Larry Scott and George Klyovkov, their commissioners, have had a little bit of that in them, uh, I think has contributed to their current position. This whole thing is just wild, Adam. It's amazing where we can talk about all these schools going to all these different conferences and have all these discussions, and then it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, the 2023 season is right around the corner. It's the wild, wild west. It's insane. If I fell asleep for a year and woke up and this was the reality, I'd be like, what is happening right now? How do you feel about this as a college football junkie? Yeah, well, I'm certainly excited for the games to begin. I mean, the last three off seasons have made me, you know, love the season much, much more than I already did, which was which was a lot. And, and the irony here is that the Pac-12 is poised to have a terrific season and maybe be the most exciting conference in college football. You know, we did some research for a story that's coming up. Their returning collection of quarterbacks might be the most accomplished for any league, including the Pac-12, in the last 20 years. And so you think about the quarterback play. You think about uh, you know, the number of top 20 teams, the coaching in the Pac-12. It's going to be a great final season. And then, unfortunately, it has to end in 2024. And so I, I always love the season and cherish the season. It's a very short season in college football, and it's why it's, it's so great. And I think it'll continue to be great even in the expanded playoff era. But, um, again, it's, it's, uh, it's, it certainly makes you more excited just to have the games because of some of the stories. I mean, the last month, I've been covering either uh, realignment or the Northwestern hazing scandal. So the job has not exactly been the most enjoyable, but it's the job we got to do here the last few weeks. When we look at, from a fan base standpoint, and this being the last year of the Pac-12 as it is, how, like, from a neutral fan standpoint, I'm sure it's going to be awesome and insane and intense, but how bitter do you expect some of these matchups to be in both football and basketball, particularly when you look at the Pac-4 that remains, and and this is it, this is the last real slice of Pac-12 basketball that those programs are going to be a part of while their fellow mates are headed off to greener pastures. Sure. Well, certainly looking forward to the Apple Cup uh, this year with Washington and Washington State, and maybe even more so to the uh, to the, the game formerly known as the Civil War with Oregon and Oregon State, um, because you know those are teams in the same state that are going to be going their separate ways, much like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. You know, after their you know seemingly final bedlam for the immediate future that's going to take place this year in 2023 and you know it's sad that this is what's coloring those games that we're talking about oh the bitterness so the bitterness should be there anyway you know these are <laughs> these are schools in the same state that hate each other or or at least have, have a healthy amount of discontent but but it's added to because one of them is is leaving uh for a better financial situation and the other one is sort of left to scramble although oklahoma state is certainly feeling better about its prospects now versus uh, Washington State and, and uh, um, uh, Oregon State, who this has just happened to. I mean, I grew up, again, in the Bay Area. I remember how big a deal it was when UCLA and Cal would play, and they're going to play this year, but then when are they going to play again? In, in, in football, in, in men's basketball, in the Olympic sports? And, and that's really unfortunate. Those are two schools that are part of the same system. They're two of the best public schools in the country. And a game that, again, I, as a kid, look forward to every year is, is going away. Can you give us a sense, Adam, where we see all these schools leaving their conference? 
Can we see, with the current landscape being what it is, will we see conferences booting schools? I mean, like, is that even possible? I know Temple got booted at one time from the Big East. Could you see this shift happen where, where now conferences are saying, hey, we got a better offer, or we got a better situation, or we're breaking up with you first, whatever the reason is, can they move on from a school? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what we were talking about earlier. I think, I think if, if, you're, if there's an acceptance that football is going to be its own division, its own Super League like the NFL, uh, you know, I think there will be a moving on, maybe not in all the sports, but in, in, in that sport. And, you know, that's going to be largely determined, like these last two expansion moves, by the media companies. They're going to decide who's in those Super Leagues, and it's not going to be all about winning percentage. I'm fascinated to see, like, will a team like Utah make the cut? Will a team like Oklahoma State make the cut? Those teams but say have it's been not really that. good on the field. Say it's uh, not that, Adam. <laughs> say, say we're not doing a Super League. We're, we're sticking with the conferences the way they are. Can a conference say, hey, you're out? <laughs> Instead of the, the schools making that decision where they go, can conferences make a decision that, hey, even though we're in a relationship right now, Northwestern, like, sorry, you're out. Can, can they do that? They can do whatever they want. I mean, there's yeah. bylaws in, in every in every conference that that has that mechanism in place. But as I was saying earlier, it's very unpresidential to have that conversation. Right. But again, we're in a, a time where, where presidents are essentially being led around by media companies and the and following the directions of media companies. So if that's the, the directive and it's it's do this or make less money. Uh, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see if they can do that. I think that's going to be one of the fascinating subplots of whatever comes next in college sports. No, really interesting stuff. Hey, Adam, thanks for the time, man. You broke it down great, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you down the road, man. Okay, thanks for having me. Thanks, Adam. Uh, thank you. There he is, Adam Rittenberg, ESPN College Football Senior Writer. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Brian, no. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. like to welcome in Dominic Miranda, sports anchor at WTHR. Joining us here on the show. Before we get to all things Colts here, Dominic, I was just talking about Jimmy and his love for aggressive rappers. <laughs> okay, I'm curious what uh, your go-to genre is. So, is it uh, aggressive rappers? Is it aggressive heavy metal? Is it anything aggressive? Where do you go musically, Dominic? Well, first, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. But as far as music go, my fiance and my friends make fun of me because I'm a guy who is straight classic rock. That usually gets me going for the day. Nothing aggressive, classic rock, mix some 2000s country in there. I'm pretty low-key, so that's how I keep my music. I don't mind it at all. So what are the classic rock groups? Are you a big Skinner guy? What is it for you? Oh, man, Creed's Clearwater Revival, Foreigner. That stuff gets me going throughout the day. Love that. Mix in in the mood for beach music, Alan Jackson, Toby Keith, and I'd say that's a good day's work. Man, okay. I feel like I know you better now. Very nice. I, I said hip-hop, and it got turned into aggressive rap. He says classic <laughs> rock, and you're not just assuming that he's a metalhead? That's not where that's going? Okay, so to make sure so to make sure we're on the same wavelength here. <laughs> uh, 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 last last follow-up here. Is there anything aggressive around, Dominic? Is there like a, a classic? Classic rock's not that aggressive. Anything? I'm just curious. I'm not getting to anything here. 
Well, guilty pleasure for sure is Eminem. That's when, you know, things go a different way. Yeah. For the evening's activities, you know, Eminem is always a go-to. That's when you're ticked off about how hot it was at Colts camp. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's when I'm that's when I'm shedding five pounds without having to anything more than just walking up and down the sideline. What is in your mind the most interesting thing that you've observed through all these practices at training camp you've been at? I would say the vibe at camp. I mean, these guys to me anyway, look to be having a lot of fun out on the field. I know Shane Steichen stresses competition, and that's coach speak, you can say, but the competition I'm seeing between offense and defense and and more particularly lately with the live periods is pads popping, guys getting really excited. EJ Speed had an interception to end practice the other day that really got the defense pumped up. Zaire Franklin was saying, you know, he loves that. The offensive guys were talking trash, and that's what gets him going. But for a team with, you know, the expectations they have or the lack thereof, the intensity and the camaraderie that you're seeing, even amidst the Jonathan Taylor situation we saw unfold in that first week of training camp, is something that's caught my attention more than any particular player group. And the guys, you can tell, I mean, they're pretty genuine in their answers post-practice availability, these guys like playing together, specifically the defensive side and, and, and on the offensive side. Guys are rallying around Anthony Richardson's development. There are a ton of guys on this Colts team that have to take a step this season to get to where they want to go or at least show a proof of concept that the expectations aren't there this year. So that's what's really stuck out to me is, you know, it feels like these guys are stacking days. And, again, that's coach speak, but it, it's pretty evident thus far in, in training camp. Dominic, I know that you've been out there throughout camp, but you were tweeting especially so over the weekend at the weekend practices for the Colts. Non-Anthony Richardson division, as we're getting closer and closer to the coach speak of stacking days, mattering a little bit more. Who stood out to you the most on the individual level at this weekend session for Colts camp? This weekend session, you know, I, I go towards the wide receiver group. Alec Pierce feels like he's open more often than not. And he's a guy who had an okay rookie campaign, but people are looking for him to take a step in year two. Daryl Baker Jr. even saying after practice on Sunday, I believe, you know, he's the toughest guy to guard right now in practice. He's the guy, he's the wide receiver that's pushing the corners the most. So Alec Pierce has really flashed recently, sticking in that wide receiver room. Michael Strawn, it feels like every training camp we're talking about Michael Strawn, the body, the frame, the go up and get it. I mean, multiple times during training camp, he's had a, a moth-like catch where he really goes up and takes it away from the defensive back, whether that be size or whatever. He's really been flashing and, and having consistency throughout training camp. Josh Downs has gotten better throughout training camp. Those short crossers is going to be his bread and butter this year for him to get in a real rhythm in his rookie season and show some flashes. And Isaiah McKenzie, the same thing. So that wide receiver room is really sticking out to me right now, whether that credit be to Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson hitting their strides throughout camp. But that, that wide receiver room is a room where there's a bunch of really good players that need to play great if they need to, if they were going to want to get to where they want to go. So I really like what I'm seeing out of that group uh, this far in camp. He's Dominic, Dominic Miranda, sports anchor at WTHR, joining us here on The Fan. Jimmy and I were talking about not just his love for aggressive rappers. We were, <laughs> we were talking about if Anthony Richardson 
should start in week one. When you're there at camp, when you're seeing him, what's your preference? Do you think it makes sense to throw him out there in week one or to wait a little bit? What would you say to that? The short answer for me is throw him out there. Is you know The biggest knock on this guy is he's raw. He has the inexperience, not a lot of starts in college, a lot of development needs to take place. And in a year in which, you know, these past few seasons or even dating back to 2019 with the revolving door at quarterback, although that was happening, the expectations for this team was still to win the division and was still to make the playoffs with Phillip Rivers. Even with Jacoby Brissett that first season, when they started 5-2, and two, they had a big win over the Texans when they were kind of running that division. And there was never a season in which, like, okay, we're going to reset. It was always the Band-Aid, the Band-Aid, the Band-Aid. So now we're in a situation this year where the expectations are not great for this team. Fans want to see growth. Fans want to see something where we can build on for the year after. If that's the case, I'm of the opinion that Anthony Richardson's got to play. He's got to work through stuff. And what I've picked up on with Anthony Richardson is he is a very fast learner. He didn't. He had some rough days towards the end of week one of training camp. Balls behind receivers. He was getting the timing down. He was coming back from that nasal septum procedure. Maybe that was lingering. I can't imagine that's a painless procedure. I mean, I'm sure there was some lingering, maybe soreness in that nasal area. But, you know, getting that timing down with short, intermediate, deep routes, some balls too fast, some balls behind receivers. And after that day off on Friday, Saturday Saturday was his best practice, and then he followed up with an even better practice on Sunday. So if you have a guy who's buried in the playbook, I mean, all his teammates say – how great his work ethic is, how eager he is to learn, how accessible he is and receptive he is to coaching. If he's just going to keep doing that, I think the preseason games, we're going to learn a lot as the practices continue. That's the long answer. The short answer is I would throw him out there because I'm not quite sure how many more wins, if we're looking at wins, Gardner Minshew gives you rather than Anthony Richardson. He's a, he's a smooth operator, Gardner Minshew. He's going to do the things he needs to do. He's going to put the balls where they need to be. But if you're talking about a guy with the potential of Anthony Richardson, I say let him play, figure some things out. And, and if he stacks game performances like he's been stacking practices here early on in camp, I mean, man, if he gets better and better, I would love to see that learning on the job rather than on the sidelines. WTHR's Dominic Miranda with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Dominic, Brian and I, as he alluded to, are on opposite sides of the conversation. I'm with you. If everything that appears to be building to this point leans that he's ready for the green light, you start him week one. I know you kind of already answered this, but the answer I would assume would be yes. The other side of the corner, me and Brian tried to meet in the middle on this, is a lot of teams around the league that have rookie quarterbacks have formally announced not just that they might be starting week one of the regular season, that this guy is going to start for us week one of the preseason. We've seen it happen in Carolina. Uh, C.J. Stroud was just named the starter for the Houston Texans a little bit earlier today. From what you've seen from camp, is he ready for that next test of starting preseason game number one this weekend against Buffalo? I believe he is. I understand the hesitation for the formal he's our starter from here on out because it's different with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. I mean, those guys' college careers, I mean, we knew. Everybody knew, even dating back to the draft. Look, they're coming in. 
They're starting. They're the faces of this franchise. There's no real guy there to learn under, and they're ready, right? We knew, even though Anthony Richardson was drafted fourth overall, and I, I don't love this term, but he was a bit of a project, right? And I only say that because the, the physical abilities and just how he looks out on a football field and the potential and promise he shows shows you that he's worth taking that quote-unquote risk on, right? So I understand the hesitation of not formally naming it because Gardner Minshew's a better backup quarterback than I'd venture to say the Panthers or the Texans have to push him. And you can see, I believe, what's happening in camp. You know, Gardner Minshew is being, A, a great teammate, but, B, pushing Anthony Richardson. He's got to be on it because even though the ceiling of Anthony Richardson is much higher than Gardner Minshew's, the floor right now anyway it, it, there's a bit of a gap there. And so Gardner Minshew is very consistent. He's putting the ball where it needs to be, and he's pushing Anthony Richardson to stack those consistent days. So I think he should be with, take the first reps of that first preseason game. My guess is they'll alternate just as they have during camp. But I think there just has to be a little more growth, and it's early. It's early on in camp. With these preseason games, I think we'll tell a lot. It's the closest thing to live action you're going to see and if he carries over his performance in the pocket that we've seen of late at training camp, you know, the stuff that he's lauded for us is out of the pocket, kind of spontaneity on the fly. I think that promise gives you much more than Gardner Minshew can um, as far as a quarterback position goes. So it's just about being more consistent with Anthony Richardson. But, man, if he just keeps growing, I think you got to give him those first reps and see if that carries over to a game-like setting. Is Gardner still getting booed? You still have the boo birds out there at training camp? I personally have not heard the boo birds with Gardner Minshew. I mean, he, the fans love him. They're getting autographs from both him and Anthony Richardson at practice. Um, and I know it's in jest. I haven't heard the boos, but I got to say, Gardner Minshew and all his teammates have agreed. Shane Steichen's agreed. And even when he talks about Anthony Richardson, he, he's an A-plus teammate. I mean, he's pushing Anthony with his performance on the field, but he's also – really being a helping hand and helping him learn and showing him kind of the ropes and, and just a listening ear answering any questions. So no boo birds, great teammate from my perspective, and they got a good relationship in that quarterback room. Well, hey, great stuff, Dominic. Really appreciate you uh, popping on today, and um, I hope you hear some CCR on the way back from, from uh, Colts practice this week, you know? Absolutely. Every time I hear it, it reminds me of the Remember the Titans soundtrack. So it always gets football season. <laughs> there you go, man. We'll catch you soon, Dominic. Awesome. Thanks for the time, guys. Really appreciate having me on. Yeah, for sure, man. Appreciate your time. Thanks, there Dominic. He is. Dominic Miranda, sports anchor at WTHR.